So, gals, we're going with gals this month. Can you believe it is December already? Where has the year gone, in spite of us having spent most of it inside? I've heard people saying, well, that's it, there'll be no Christmas this year. Of course there will be a Christmas. It's what we make of it. It may not be the one you wanted or the one you usually have, but there will definitely be a Christmas. So, in the spirit of making the best of it, you will either have or be getting a party bag in preparation for our next meeting. I hope there is something for everyone. And as well as our Zoom party this month, what else happened in December in history? On the 1st of December, 1955, Rosa Parks sets off a bus boycott in Montgomery, Georgia. Well done, Rosa. On the 4th of December, 1952, deadly London smog in England leaves thousands dead in the capital. On the 12th of December, 1901, Marconi sends the first wireless transmission over 2,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean from Cornwall, England to Newfoundland, Canada. Imagine life without your mobile phone, gals. And on the 26th of December, 2004, a tsunami caused by an earthquake under the Indian Ocean leaves 216,000 people dead over 13 countries and very much puts the word tsunami back into our dictionaries. Do you think you know about Christmas? We've always known Christmas, the day Jesus was born, as the 25th of December. However, for the first 300 years, Christians considered Easter, celebrating the resurrection, closely followed by the 6th of January, the epiphany when the Magi arrived, as the main dates to celebrate. The first mention of the 26th of December honouring the birth of Jesus was in 336 AD when it appeared in an early Roman calendar. Was Jesus born on the 25th of December? Probably not. His date of birth isn't mentioned anywhere in the Bible and there are conflicting clues. The presence of shepherds and sheep suggests a spring birth, but it's likely that church officials settled on the date as they wanted to coincide with already existing pagan festivals in honour of Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture, and Mirtha, the Persian god of light. So it made it easier to convince Rome's pagan subjects to accept Christianity as their official religion. The celebration did spread throughout the Western world, but in some places the Epiphany is still considered to be the most important day rather than Christmas. In the US, Puritans banned its observance as they said that the offering of gifts and decorating of trees was more like a pagan ritual, and after the American Revolution it was viewed as a British custom, so it didn't officially become a federal holiday until 1870. In November, we made pledges to help the community or the environment, and well done to those of you who have carried through with them. There were some very creative ideas and some very dedicated people, so thank you, girls. Just because it isn't November anymore, it doesn't mean that we can't carry on. So, what else has the WI made resolutions for? Looking through the list, I found some that will resonate with things that have happened through lockdown, but which were put forward for very different reasons. In 1946, the year that the Revolutionary Biro first goes on sale, Lancashire Federation put forward the resolution that this meeting views with great concern the world shortage of food and pledges itself to do anything within its powers to increase home production and preservation. Wonder if they wrote that resolution with a biro. In 1953, 
the year of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, Berkshire Federation put forward that this meeting urges women's institutes to do all within their power to encourage parents and guardians to allow their children to remain at school and to complete the full educational course. We need to consider how very lucky our children are these days to get a full-time education. In 1965, the year that the first female High Court judge was appointed in this country, Cheshire Federation put forward the resolution that this meeting, while recognising the community work that the Women's Institute does, increase their efforts for service in their own area. It does sometimes blow my mind and also make me sad at how relevant some of these resolutions still are. <laughs> I have a little song here for you, which I've written. Well, I'm not going to sing it because that would be disastrous for us all. But I will just give you the last verse of the 12 days of COVID. On the 12th day of COVID, Boris Johnson gave to me 12 packs of seeds, 11 hand sanitizers, 10 bags of flour, 9 paracetamol, 8 jars of coffee, 7 face masks, 6 bags of pasta, five toilet rolls, four loaves of bread, three colour cartridges, two garden sheds, and don't forget the anti-back soap. I wonder how many of you have made do with five toilet rolls. Okay, now, girls, we have episode two of our very own Nancy's um, Walks Around Sefton, and this time she's going to tell you about some of the parks that she's been to. Okay, now, gals, we have episode two of our very own Nancy's Walks Around Sefton, and today she's going to tell you about Sefton's Parks. Now, I hope you Sandgrounders won't be offended if I say there's a limit to the number of times you can walk around Southport's lovely parks, and I've probably reached it during lockdown. So I've been exploring further afield and have come up with my favourite five or six walks in parks or country parks within a 10 to 15 mile radius of Southport. There are so many and they're often connected by their history to the same families, architects and time of construction, nearly all being of Victorian vintage. On the way to my first one, Astley Hall and Parking Chorley, stop off for a while in the lovely village of Croston. Over the bridge and behind the church is the lovely area of Croft Field. You can walk by the River Yarrow to see the relatively new stone circle made of local granite. There's a children's playground and some animal sculptures along the way, and you can make a circular walk around this lovely village. On to Astley Hall and Park now. There are a hundred acres of parkland here with woods and streams which were refurbished recently, but the pièce de résistance is the Garden of Reflection in the Walled Garden next to the lovely Café Ambio in the Coach House. It's a memorial for the World Wars and is really moving. If you've time, call in also to the Temple of the Latter-day Saints in Chorley. The white granite temple with its golden angel built in 1998 is visible from the M61, but the surprise lies in the beautifully manicured and extensive gardens that surround the temple and which are open to the public. My next trip is to the magnificent Avonham and Miller Parks in Preston. But on the way, stop off at St Catherine's Hospice. 
There's plenty of parking and you can walk through the hospice grounds into the walled garden and through a lovely gate into the wetland area. A path takes you down to Don Dandybrook and the Metal War Memorial sculpture on the main road. Be sure to visit the wonderful Mill Cafe and its brand new charity shop, which both support the hospice on your way back. Carry on towards Preston and walk down the elegant mile-long Lime Avenue that runs by the Ribble into Avonham Park. This and the adjacent Miller Park were built in a natural amphitheatre to provide work for cotton workers during the cotton famine in the 1860s. Victorian oasis with a Japanese rock garden, a dolphin fountain, a belvedere and a basalt rock from the Giant's Causeway. The Preston Guild Wheel goes through here, so you can extend your walk in either direction. Into Brockhall Nature Reserve in one direction and on to the magnificent Preston Dock Basin in the other. Both provide a good leg stretch of four or five miles along extremely scenic paths. Next to Liverpool, with its great municipal parks of Sefton, Calderstones and Croxteth. I paid my first visit to Calderstones during the second lockdown and absolutely loved it. 94 acres of grounds to wander in with woodland, fields, lakes and a beautiful old English walled garden, which is truly spectacular. The hall is now the international headquarters of an organisation called Shared Reading, and is full of interesting activities in beautiful spaces. The Reader Cafe is fabulous, and you can look out for the memorial to Jet the Dog, Second World War hero, and the six Neolithic boulders, which are the Calder Stones. You could walk from here into the wonderful Sefton Park, or to Sudley Hall with its great art gallery. My next venue is Cuardin Valley Country Park at Bamber Bridge probably the biggest parking area. The hall and its grounds belong to the same family as Astley, Tatton, and our own lovely bank hall at Tarleton, where the restoration is coming along beautifully. Go and have a look on the snowdrop walks. The hall at Cuardin, which was a Sioux Rider home, has recently been sold to a private individual for 1.5 million, and he's going to restore it to a family home. But the country park which surrounds it is full of joys a walled garden where farmers markets are held, an American pine eatum, a lake, the river lost stock and miles of paths. The newish visitor centre cafe is highly recommended. On the way home, call into another great country park at Warden, Leyland. Acres of mature and romantic woodlands, wildflower meadows, a hedge maze, a walled garden, a model railway, cafe and craft workshops provide interest for everyone. I've left the best till last, Birkenhead Park. It's been on my list since I moved to Southport, but I only managed to visit in the last few weeks. Designed in 1847 by Joseph Paxton, this is the first publicly funded civil park in the world. It's now grade one listed and is said to have influenced the design of Central Park in New York. It is huge and surrounded by magnificent Victorian villas. It has lakes galore, woodland, meadows and a very modern visitor centre. You can easily walk four or six miles on the very good paths. 
So next time you're looking for an interesting walk, just jump in the car for half an hour and visit one of these gems. We're surrounded on all sides by wonderful country parks, and I haven't even started on the nature reserves, which may well be another episode. Thank you to Nancy for that wonderfully researched um, episode there. Very inspiring. Now, gals, I have something so exciting for you. Even though it is his busiest time of year, I have managed to speak to the real Santa. And he has remembered a Christmas that went very wrong and which you put in a letter to two children he used to visit. So... Hmm. Hey, Santa, Jack Treveltula, why don't you read us your letter? Cliff House, top of the road, near the North Pole, Christmas 1925. My dear boys, I am dreadfully busy this year. It makes my hand even more shaky than ever when I think of it. And not very rich. In fact, awful things have been happening and some of the presents got spoiled and I haven't got the North Polar Bear to help me. And I have to move house just before Christmas. So you can imagine what a state everything is in. And you will see why I have a new address and why I can only write one letter between you. It all happened like this. One very windy day last November, my hood blew off and went and got stuck on the top of the North Pole. I told him not to, but the North Polar Bear climbed up the thin top to get it down, and he did. The pole broke in the middle and fell on the roof of my house, and the North Polar Bear fell through the hole it made into the dining room with my hood over his nose. And all the snow fell off the roof into the house and melted and put out all the fires and ran down into the cellars where I was collecting this year's presents. And the North Polar Bear's leg got broken. He is well again now, but I was so cross with him that he says he won't try and help me again. I expect his temper is hurt and will be mended by next Christmas. I sent you a picture of the accident and of my new house on the cliffs above the North Pole with beautiful cellars in the cliffs also above the North Pole. If John can't read my old Sega writing, 1,925 years old, he must get his father to. When is Michael going to learn to read and write his own letters to me? Lots of love to both you and Christopher, whose name is rather like mine. That's all. Goodbye. Father Christmas. Well, that just goes to show that even things don't go smoothly for Santa. Hey, hey, Kitos Santa, your English is much better than my Finnish. Well, that's it from me. Have a lovely Christmas, everybody, and I hope to see you at the Christmas party. <laughs>